This is Learn Right Radio, your podcast for clinical practice, clinician experiences, and being a clinician in the workplace. I'm your host, Sarah Thistle. everybody to another episode of Learn Right Radio. This week we've got M. Palmerton on and she is a pretty different um, guest that we've had from other ones. A lot of them have been clinicians, uh, whether they were athletic trainers or physical therapists, and M is actually a registered dietitian. So I think this is going to be a really helpful podcast for clinicians everywhere, um, especially because we get asked a ton of questions about nutrition and we may not always have the best answer, the best resources to give. So Em, why don't you go ahead and start off, just introduce yourself, um, and then we'll really dive into it. Sure. Well, first of all, I want to say thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. This is my first podcast interview. So I have so much to say. I'm like pretty outspoken on social media about nutrition. So I'm excited that I I have a little bit of a platform today, and I'm getting to reach a little bit of a different audience. Perfect. All right. So I want to start very beginning because um, I know, I mean, well, okay. So context, we are teammates. We actually weightlift together. Um, and so we had many conversations outside of this, but um, I know a little bit, but I know that your journey to becoming an RD wasn't necessarily straight path. You knew exactly this was what you were going to do from the very beginning. So could you kind of dive into that and how you even got to where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, it is a windy road. So when I started college, I changed my major like three times. I started in biomedical engineering because I knew that I wanted to work in healthcare. Um, My mom was a physician. So I was like, I'm going to work in healthcare. I'm going to do something. So I went from biomedical engineering to medical technology. And then I actually um, did not do so well in organic chemistry the first time around. So that kind of forced me to change my major rather than take it again. So I ended up switching to exercise science. Uh, At this time, I was playing rugby in college and I had started to get a little bit more involved in fitness and in exercise. And I was going to a boxing gym and I had started dabbling in weight training a little bit. So I thought, wow, exercise science would be great. I think PT is what I want to do. So I actually originally was pretty gung-ho on PT. Uh, But through the course of my schooling, I was not sure if I wanted to do PT. Maybe I wanted to do chiropractic, but I wasn't 100% sold. So what I had decided to do was I had done my internship at a CrossFit gym uh, because part of the exercise program at UB was the last semester is an internship. So I started working at a uh, independently owned gym. So I was coaching CrossFit. I thought I would go to massage school, become a massage therapist. And if I really wanted to, after that period of time, I would go back to school for um, athletic training was actually in the, in the, in the mix too, as an option. I just like really did not know what I wanted to do. Um, But I had taken some courses in nutrition and in behavior change, and I was really interested in the psychology of behavior change. I think also give them all the advice in the world and all the education, 
But if they don't know how to implement that and they don't have the tools and the confidence to be able to do that, it doesn't really translate to change. Fast forward, I went through massage school. I was working as a massage therapist for about a year and I had started to build up my hours until I was about full-time as a massage therapist. And I had sort of felt like I was running into a wall and I started to explore going back to school for something. I still did not feel super strongly about PT. I have a couple of friends that are physical therapists. I think they're amazing clinicians. I have so much respect for the field, but I just didn't feel like it was for me. And I sort of looked back and considered, you know, maybe nutrition is the place to be. And truthfully, I had actually really struggled with nutrition and I'm going to like put air quotes up that I had always struggled with my weight. Um, but I want to, there's caveats to that, but uh, I thought that because I was still really struggling with my relationship with food and my relationship with my body, that I could not guide people through this process. But I ended up taking the leap. Um, I think it's important to note here that I had worked in this CrossFit gym for a period of time. And one of my coworkers there, she actually started a nutrition coaching business and she was a certified nutrition coach. And I saw some of what she was doing with her clients. And it really, there was not really any, like, I did not have, it's not, it wasn't my position to like say you're doing it wrong, but I saw basically she was pretty much like starving her clients and I'm really not about that. Um, I knew that that was for me, something that was actually triggered a lot of really negative behaviors around food. So I had decided that if I was going to do something about that, if I was going to respond to what she, and not just her, because she's just one person, but realistically what a lot of nutritionists and nutrition coaches really do is they'll kind of do a lot of reduced calorie diets for people because that's just, that's just the, the method. Like a lot of people just, that's how they approach nutrition is just reducing calories. And, um, I don't necessarily agree with that as like a first line treatment for people especially without addressing like their relationship to food, um, what their dieting history has been, um, how they respond to restriction in the first place, uh, what's really gonna work for them rather than just sort of prescribing a calorie reduction and, and running with it. So I also had an interest in disordered eating, eating disorders. And I knew that if I wanted to work with that population, I needed to be a registered dietitian because it's not within the scope of practice of someone who is a nutrition coach to be working with people with disordered and disordered eating or eating disorders. And I also want to add a little caveat there because um, I think people hear eating disorders and they kind of shrink because it's such a heavy, scary word. And people really associate eating disorders with very sick people, but me and a lot of other clinicians really see it as a spectrum of eating behaviors. And on one far end of the spectrum, yes, there's eating disorders where someone is very ill and maybe not medically stable. But then on the other end of the spectrum, you see people who are just in a chronic dieting phase, like they'll just go from diet to diet to diet. And that also exists on the spectrum of dysfunctional eating. So 
Jessica Setnick, uh, who is a professional eating disorder, she sort of coined that phrase of dysfunctional eating. Mm. And I prescribed to that world of dysfunctional eating. So anyways, back to that, I decided to become an RD and it's actually quite a long process. I had a degree in exercise science, so I thought it would be just, I would take a couple classes, then I would do the clinical rotations and then I would be good to go. It turns out it would take me three and a half years. So basically like starting a new bachelor's degree from scratch, um, you do have to have a bachelor's degree in anything. You have to have a didactic program in dietetics completed. And that includes courses like medical nutrition therapy, nutrition through the lifespan. You do have to take some applied food chemistry. You have to take organic chemistry. So I did retake it and I got an A this time around biochemistry, microbiology, um, food science, all that stuff. And then on top of that, you have to do 1200 hours of supervised practice. So that is working in the hospital, working in long-term care. Uh, we do a food service rotation. And then you have to sit for an exam that has about a, I think, 60% pass rate for first time test takers. And you have to do 75 hours of continuing ed every five years. You also have to abide by a code of ethics. So in my mind, at least at that period of time, RD was the gold standard for nutritionists. Uh, there are, of course, plenty of other options, but again, I wanted to work with this specific population and I really wanted to be able to also educate. Um, I think that there's such importance in communicating across disciplines and having conversations with people outside of our own field, because I'm sure, uh, Sarah, you've seen in your fields, and like you mentioned at the beginning, uh, there are a lot of people asking questions about nutrition, and there's a lot of people that are giving out information that can definitely do harm. So mm -hmm. I think that rather than just call that out and criticize it, I think we also need to be doing our part to educate and to sort of bring everyone in and call them into really having a more supportive relationship with food and being able to provide uh, better information for people. Yeah. Wow. That, um, that is quite a, so what was the, what's the span of time for how long this took to get where yeah, you are so now? Uh, so that was three and a half years of, mm -hmm. from starting school. Um, I started taking classes part-time while I was working as a massage therapist. And I basically still was doing massage throughout my program, but yeah, it was three and a half years total. Um, I did a combined program. So that actually combined the didactic, which is the, the classwork with the clinical hours. So I was kind of doing classwork, clinical, and running my massage business at the same time. Wow. Most people traditionally will do the didactic first, then they will apply to an internship and then they'll do the internship all at once. Some programs allow you to do an internship and a master's degree at the same time. And I also want to add that in 2024, dietitians will be required to have a master's degree. I mm. slid in under the radar. I did not need a master's degree in order to sit for the registered dietitian exam. Nice. That's what I did too, but for athletic training. Uh, <laughs> no. so great. Now it's minimum masters. So I just, just missed that. Thank goodness. Yeah. Um, yeah. But okay. So three and a half years, obviously jam packed. Um, and you, I'm sure as a massage therapist too, you probably received a lot of questions um, or at least to some degree, you were receiving these questions of nutrition because um, I'm assuming people were coming to you for recovery 
or maybe other reasons, but I mean, that's a big one that I hear, especially working in the factory. Um, I get asked a lot like, oh, do you think I should go get a massage? Do you think that'll help with X, Y, and Z? Um, so I'm sure then once they finally make it there, you're also getting asked these questions a lot too. Oh yeah, absolutely. I get asked things a lot about supplements, um, mm. of course, because everyone's obsessed with supplements. Mm. Um, I do get asked a little bit. I try not to have the conversation around that there, mostly because like, I want to get paid. So, <laughs> you know, like I'm not trying to do like free labor for people per se, because sometimes right. the questions that people ask, I really don't have all the answers as much as I would like to believe that I do. Mm-hmm. So sometimes there is some legwork that has to be done to like really gather all of the information on this specific topic. Sometimes if I know it off the top of my head and it's an easy answer, I'll give it. Um, and I do, I've had conversations with some of my clients about sort of the philosophy that I have towards nutrition. And it's really interesting, like um, just kind of getting an idea of where people really come from and how they really perceive nutrition. Because I think a lot of times we sort of get in our personal clinical bubble where we see so much information and we get exposed to so much information and we have so many people around us who have a lot of knowledge around it. We're not really exposed to like what what the common person really, Mm -hmm. and it's not to look down on people, but it's really, really helpful for me to know where people stand in their understanding of nutrition and their relationship to food. Mm, Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I think that's the same or probably the same for most clinicians too, where you're, you know, you're just flooded with all this research and, you know, what is the most up-to-date supported statement practice that's going on and that doesn't necessarily translate to the masses so then you're kind of caught like oh shoot you didn't know that oh okay oh this is real (laughs) yeah I still think that god god absolutely yeah and I I really do believe that nutrition is so individualized um Mm. that for me to like if someone is like hey is there a protein powder that you like that's an easy question but it doesn't answer the question of like when is using a protein powder appropriate? Like, Mm. what are the benefits of protein powder? Like, so that individualized approach, like, are you eating protein powder because it's the only food that feels safe to you? And, or are you using protein powder as like a meal replacement because you're not eating, you know, whatever. So it's just, it doesn't allow for that, like really individualized approach. Mm. And of course it is absolutely individualized, just like you know, fitness or treatment for an injury would be, do you find that when people are asking you these questions that maybe they don't realize are so complex, do you find that there's kind of a frustration there? Like, well, why can't you just answer my question? You know, thinking it's almost easier than it is. Oh, yeah. And it's funny that it's like this sort of like paradox of it's so simple and yet it's so complex. Um, because I also feel like people really, really overcomplicate things most of the time. Mm. Um, I think it's probably just because of the marketing that's done around nutrition and around food, like with, um, sort of this like idea that like everything needs to be like a 12 week or an eight week challenge or like a very regimented diet. And it sort of creates this idea that you have to use really, really advanced strategies in order to see the results that you want or see a difference in your nutrition. 
So realistically, I think people come in and they ask like, so if I want to do intermittent fasting where I have like a 12 hour fast and like an eight hour eat or, you know what I mean? Like they have these really, really complicated high level questions, mm -hmm. but they're also somebody that sleeps six hours a night and they don't have really good social support or they are sitting down to eat and they're staring at their phone and they're not feeling satisfied from their meals or like mm -hmm. they're having, you know, very irregular bowel movements. They're constipated all the time. So like it really is you know, it's not my job to say like, ask better questions necessarily, but yeah, it's right. simple. And at the same time, it's complex and individualized. Right. Of course. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Um, Cause even I'm, as everyone knows here, I am not an RD. So I will, I get asked, um, I can name probably a handful of times where someone has asked, um, you know, what, what carbs do I need to cut out? To lose weight like that's the most common question probably which maybe it's also for a lot of people too because carbs still seems to be villainized still um uh, <laughs> but I, it's always you know what what do i need to cut out to get this goal or to obtain this um you know whatever it is that they're looking for mm -hmm. and even if it is a simple answer of well you actually don't need to cold turkey cut out anything like do you like this do you like what do you like and don't like they almost don't like that answer. They're like, no, that can't be it. They're <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, those are the questions I think that need to be asked. And it's, it's tough when someone comes to you with like a question like that, because you don't want to invalidate what mm -hmm. their experience is for sure. Definitely like the approach that we take to nutrition is one that's more additive. Like what can we add to your diet? That's going mm -hmm. to be helpful. Um, and I think what that really comes down to is like you said, like, do they like that food? What gives them satisfaction? Because the human brain is really, I always say like brains are smarter than us. Like we are not <laughs> in control as we think we are. Like our brains have these wonderful survival mechanisms that allow us to respond <clears throat> to situations of deprivation and situations where there's not as much food available or like you're entering into a famine state not that like that necessarily is what I would classify as famine by like cutting out chips however when you remove things I think it's sort of like don't think about a pink elephant sort of thing mm. where you're like you're not allowed to have this then it sort of puts that food on a pedestal and gives it so much value and it becomes this really powerful like desirable, like you can't stop thinking about it. And then when you finally do allow yourself to have this food that you've not been allowing yourself to have, it becomes like this last supper phenomenon where you're like, oh my God, I can never have enough of these salt and vinegar potato chips because I haven't been allowed to have them forever. And now there's this big bag of it at a party and nobody's going to know if I eat it. And then it creates this cycle of like, I am not allowed to have this food, but then I had this food. And then the next day you feel terrible and guilty and like, Oh, I, I shouldn't have eaten that. I was so bad reading those chips. And then it becomes just a, a, I need to be harder on myself. I need to be more disciplined. And then they double down on the restriction. And then that becomes like a little bit of a pendulum that swings in both directions. And mm. you will not believe how common that is where it's like, you know, I feel like I don't have control around this food. And it's like, okay, well, tell me about your, what your history with this food is like. Mm. So yeah, generally the answer to that is I don't tell people to cut anything out. So yeah, approach. <laughs> that's like, yeah, I just, I just went off on a little tangent, but yeah. totally normal.
No, that, no, that's perfect. Uh, and that makes me feel better too, because I don't think I end up ever telling anyone to cut anything out. It's usually probably the opposite and hence why they then ask someone else after they just ask me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Always oh, super funny when that happens. Or uh, yeah. or I do kind of ask, like, okay, well, are you sleeping? Are you are you doing all these other things? They're like, oh, no, I don't have time for that. I'm like, well. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. interesting but that would be such a low-hanging fruit but you have to make it so hard on yourself and like I just want to add one more thing there because you really made me think of this is that like I think for some reason we really think that we have to white knuckle our way through Mm. our nutrition sometimes and like I really just I don't agree with that I don't think that that should be a sustainable way for you to eat for the rest of your life yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. And it, it doesn't seem like it is that sustainable at all. Oh yeah. Yeah. People definitely will go through these cycles of feeling like they are on the wagon, that they're off the wagon. And then it's kind of like all hell breaks loose when they're off the wagon. And then they, mm. they need help getting back on the wagon. Of course, that's when they call a registered dietitian and they're like, I need help being more disciplined with my nutrition. And then mm. I'm like, okay, that's a little red flag right there. Let's talk. <laughs> those are your red flags yeah yeah absolutely do you um and we kind of touched on this too uh the influence of the marketing and uh, social media and you know every everyone and their mom coaching on nutrition when maybe they really shouldn't um Uh, how how uh difficult does that make it for you and uh and your partner coworker to, you know, reach people and do your job. Oh gosh. Yeah, totally. There's so much misinformation, um, or disinformation, depending on if it's like intentional or just kind of incidental. I think there's Mm. a lot of people with really great genetics Mm. who maybe even some people that have gone through their own sort of fitness or weight loss journey. And then they sort of extrapolate their personal journey into a package that they package and sell to people where they give someone the exact same sort of macros or like a meal plan that they followed. And I think there's like a couple of things that are inherently harmful with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one being this, this idea that if you eat like someone train, like someone, you will end up looking like them. Mm-hmm. And I think that that can be harmful because at the end of the day, you're still going to look like you. You might be a slightly more like muscular version or a slightly like smaller version of yourself, but you're not able to totally change your genetics and your structure to literally look like another person, mm-hmm. um, which I think that can be harmful in that way. Um, where it's just like, I kind of want to look like this other person. It becomes this comparison game of like, how can I be more like this rather than being able to meet your body as it is in the here and now and treat it with kindness and treat it with respect and nourish it. It becomes this, like only once I look like that, will I be allowed to X, Y, and Z. So Mm -hmm. that's the big one. Um, we definitely see a lot of sort of these like really crazy myths around food and nutrition. And like, uh, Mm. I think one that's been really pervasive in this time now is um, seed oils. I Mm. think I've seen that one a lot, like uh, different oils, which are like really 
common in the in the food system and like processed foods. Mm -hmm. Uh, So obviously, like the demonization of processed foods is huge. Um, So allowing people to sort of get more comfortable with and I'm not saying so this, this is something I feel like that gets construed a lot, which I see in people that uh, so Andy does healthy at Andy does healthy on Instagram and she's on TikTok too. A lot of people really criticize her, uh, because she will sort of take certain foods off of a pedestal and people will say like, how dare you promote this like highly processed, dangerous food that will kill you. And it's like, I think maybe you're thinking into it a little bit too much because like realistically, number one, these foods are going to make up a relatively small portion of your diet and Mm -hmm. really like the level of harm that something can do is really dependent on the dosage of it um and there's also like like I said there's some weird psychological stuff when you demonize something or like give it that level um there's definitely some degree of anxiety around food that can be created when you have this fear associated with food Mm. and oh gosh I kind of was was going somewhere with this and I lost my train (laughs) of thought a little bit um, yeah, so that makes it challenging too, because uh, you know we're trying to let people know that you know processed foods can make your life a lot easier. Mm. Um, processed foods sometimes, like anything from like canned beans to like frozen dinner, like those are all considered processed foods. And um, I think it's like a really sort of elitist point of view to say that like processed foods are going to kill you. Because a lot of people really rely on processed foods in order to meet their basic nutritional needs. Yeah. That's a big one. So Yeah. I, I'm really actually glad you brought that up um, because there's, you had a story. So you recently uh, worked with the USA Women's Hockey Team for their mm-hmm. camp. Um, and you, I believe you were shopping for them one morning. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the questions that was asked in the question box was, um, you know, what are some healthy, I, I think this is it, what are some healthy options you can find at Sam's Club, which for West Coast people is like Costco, if you didn't know. So, <laughs> um, but I, it was really interesting because your response had the first thing out of the gate was, well, I don't really like the, you know, what's a healthy versus unhealthy snack. Um, and I really like that because especially in the industrial setting um, and certainly in places where maybe you don't live very close or you don't have the time or the resources to pack food all the time or, you know, have more access to what would be in the world of uh, social media nutrition, quote unquote, healthy foods. Um, you are, you know, at the at the mercy of whatever your factory provides for easy access um, food. So, you know, vending machines, snacks, stuff like that. Uh, so I kind of wanted to ask you to re-explain that before I kind of dive into my next question. Oh gosh. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's so great. Cause like I, I go on these like rants on my story sometimes. So like, I don't really <laughs> post that frequently, but I will be like, you know what? Something came up today and I just want to talk about this. And it's really just me. Like I want to talk about this and I yeah. really love it because I think <laughs> Uh, number one, I think it's mostly people that follow me already that are able to see my stories. So there's less like weirdos commenting on things. And it's more like people that I feel like stories definitely are a little bit more intimate. So like, I feel yeah. like they generally are received a little bit better. And it's, it gives me the ability to provide a little bit more context and nuance than a mm. post does versus mm. like, 
I'm sure if you've ever tried to grow your social media, you know that like polarizing content tends to do very well. But like, I don't really love polarizing content because I really love living in that gray area of it depends. But anyways, going back to this. um, (laughs) Preach. So yeah, so this person asked me like, what are some healthy snack options from Sam's? And I basically had said at that point that, you know, healthy is something that is so subjective. And we have provided this like sort of false dichotomy of food being unhealthy versus unhealthy when really it does like allow food to have this power over you. And it can really foster um, a lot of guilt and shame around food choices, which like, in my opinion, like food and shame do not need to exist in the same space. Like we need Mm -hmm. to remove the idea of shame from our language when it comes to food. Like stop looking at other people's grocery cards, stop judging other people for what they eat. Like just mind your own damn business because like it really is, you know, what people have access to. It has to do with like what is like really providing the best bang for their buck. Um, Sometimes for like working parents that have, you know, difficulty affording food, like they don't know if their kid is going to eat the quote healthy food. So they provide the food that they know that they're going to eat. So that doesn't really allow for an environment of choice when there's a very limited food dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think really at the end of the day, like we just need to al- allow food to be food. I think some foods provide different things like, yeah, um, a thing of almonds is going to provide a little bit more fiber and a little bit of fat, and it's going to provide some other nutrients like vitamin E and you know, it's going to sit with you a little bit longer. It's going to be satisfying, but also like, you know, sour gummy, gummy worms, like they're going to provide other things for you, but like, they just don't have a lot of nutrients with them. So I think just the, how we do speak about and how we relate to food and the language that we choose to use around food does, does matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, the, the follow-up question to that then, um, and I think hopefully a lot of clinicians can kind of have a big takeaway from this, um, you know, in that setting where, you know, it is only food trucks or it's food trucks and vending machines and it's the very easy food. Um, and you're talking to someone at their job who is kind of, you know, in that rut of, yeah, well, there are no healthy options here. Yeah. I, I have a terrible diet. I only eat whatever is in the vending machines. Like how, without being too individualized, um, you know, how would you go about a conversation like that? So we can hopefully uh, reduce any shame they may be feeling or any kind of like, oh, this is terrible. I'm in a bad situation. How can we kind of flip that narrative? Yeah. um, So that's a really good question. I think probably in that situation, the first thing I would do is um, give that person maybe an opportunity to uh, offer themselves a little bit of self-compassion, like, Hey, you're doing the best that you can in this moment. Like Mm -hmm. you're feeding yourself. Like that's, that's a task in of itself. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, I'm not sure do individuals have the opportunity to sort of like bring food from home or it's just like a a busyness thing. It's a, it's such a huge, um, spectrum of things, which is what makes the question kind of difficult, but let's say, let's say for this person, they live two hours away um, because affordability of homes is crazy. So they live two hours away. Mm-hmm. Uh, they work a 12 hour shift. Um, you know, they have kids at home. So they're maybe getting 
two hours of sleep, two to four, depending on what it is. And they really, they don't have either the means or they just don't have the time to pack a lunch. How, how can we navigate something like that where, you know, life is kind of really in the way? Yeah. Oof. That's hard. That's a really hard question. Um, so yeah, I would say in that moment, like they're really doing the best that they can. And like generally with people, um, I sort of prioritize like making sure they're eating enough before Mm -hmm. like really sort of diving into the quote, like quality of their Mm -hmm. diet, like whether they're really getting like, you know, like I said, health is pretty subjective, but like, if you were to look at like the, like quote quality of a diet, I'd probably be looking at like how much fiber they're eating throughout the day. Most people do not eat enough fiber, um, Mm -hmm. being able to work in some fruits and vegetables, um, But, you know, I would, it's so hard to like have this conversation with someone without really like either being overly judgmental or without, um, without sort of coming across as like, oh, well, you need to do better time management, but, you know, maybe offering some different resources to them, like Mm. storage for food at work, um, so that you know, maybe they can bring in some prepared foods. Mm -hmm. Um, There are definitely a lot of different like pre-made meal options. Mm -hmm. Um, Having that conversation with person too, to see if there's a chance that they might be eligible for some degree of social services, like um, SNAP benefits, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is also like, is challenging because sometimes that can feel really like a stigmatized thing. But Mm -hmm. if people are really struggling to have the means, like there is, you know, there are programs with eligibility for that reason. Um, Obviously you have to do this with, you know, kindness and compassion and like have the right person in the circle to do it. Um, But also like, Hey, is there a time on the weekend or like the night before work where you can, you know, maybe put a little bit of planning or thought into what you're able to eat tomorrow. And again, this is like Mm -hmm. something that is offered as an option. Like, is that something that you've considered not prescriptive, like maybe you need to, you know, look at your calendar the day before and decide, but like, Hey, would it be helpful if, if you had this option to do that? Is that something that might work for you? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, (laughs) no, (laughs) I know it's a, I kind of accidentally set you up. That was a tough question. Um, just because it's a tough situation in general. Um, but no, those, I think, I think how you even started it is just a really important reminder for clinicians and myself included, um, you know, that they are doing the best they can and they probably aren't thinking that or they're not remembering that. So even us remembering to say that and, um, and really validate that I think is incredibly important. And then, um, you know, maybe looking into resources that we can offer or not offer, uh, like we give it to them, but maybe point them to, or, um, Mm -hmm. you know, looking for those kind of ways and just looking for any kind of, um, change, whether it is really tiny, um, and maybe it seems like it would be insignificant, but I mean, with a, with a lifestyle like that, it probably is more significant than we realize. So, yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's like a conversation on like the, uh, upper management, you know, Mm -hmm. part of things like what can we do to be able to provide more options or, you know, storage space or, you know, 
whatever in the break room or in the vending machines. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I kind of continuing with that, uh, not necessarily the situation, but still the idea of demonized food. Um, I kind of want to ask a couple of more targeted questions, uh, that maybe I've been asked before. I'm sure someone has, um, and I really want to get into this one mm-hmm. of starvation mode. Is, is this a thing, Em? Uh, okay. Uh, this might be another long-winded answer. That's okay. <laughs> so I think this idea of starvation mode um, is something that kind of gets thrown around a lot. Um, as something like, oh, I skipped lunch today. I'm, I'm shifting into starvation mode. Um, and that's not necessarily really accurate. Um, there were some studies done in the, uh, I believe, 50s, maybe late 40s. Uh, specifically, the one that comes to mind is the Minnesota Starvation Experiment, which is really, really fascinating uh, because it looked at how people psychologically respond to starvation. And I also want to also throw in there that starvation for these young men was around 1600 to 2000 calories a day, depending on like their body weight and size. Um, And it actually was meant to research the effects of refeeding because it was uh, circa World War II. And the men who participated in the study were conscientious objectors to war. So they decided to participate in this study where they reduced, they did like a 25% reduced calorie diet. And then they went to refeed them, but they inadvertently collected all this information about the psychological effects of starvation, mm. where people were becoming obsessed with food. So psychologically, there is like a starvation mode. Mm. Uh, secondarily, uh, if you were familiar with any of the um, biggest loser studies, where mm. they looked at how people who competed on the biggest loser, how their metabolism was affected over time. And they actually found that after... I think it was like two years after I may be completely off base on this, but I think two years after the completion of the show. Um, so they had measured the basal metabolic rate of these individuals who participated in the biggest loser and basal metabolic rate is just how much, how many calories your body is burning at rest based on just the fundamental processes required to exist. So basically like how much like how many calories your organs are burning by working and your kidneys are burning by filtering your blood and your liver is burning by, um, you know, filtering toxins and all that stuff. Mm. So they looked at the basal metabolic rate of these people who participated in the biggest loser. And then after they did the biggest loser, they measured their basal metabolic rate. Once again, now basal metabolic rate is based on like organ function, age. Uh, It also is dependent on your body size and your body surface area. So you would expect someone who's lost, say a hundred pounds, you would expect their basal metabolic rate to go down. However, when they measured the um, basal metabolic rate of these individuals, they found that their uh, rate of calories that they were burning at rest decreased more than expected by significant amounts. So Mm -hmm. that is something that does happen in starvation is you burn fewer calories at rest. Mm. Um, So that is sort of what I would define as like starvation mode, but our bodies do have a lot of really, really interesting things uh, sort of 
up our sleeves in terms of like how to respond to famine. I mean, we are all survivors of a really difficult process of existing on this planet before it was industrialized. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we tend to be really good at responding to reduced calories. And that's why when we tend to go on diets, a lot of different things happen. Like our bodies have things going on undercovers. So like the reduced basal metabolic rate um, after a period of time, uh, we tend to really think about food a lot, just as those men did in this Minnesota starvation experiment. Uh, our body tends to upregulate certain hormones like ghrelin. Uh, we mm -hmm. tend to not respond to feelings of fullness. So um, there's this concept of extreme hunger. So we see that actually in eating disorders, where if someone is recovering from a restrictive eating disorder, they'll have extreme levels of hunger. And that's all part of the uh, sort of strategy that exists physiologically in our bodies in response to starvation. So yes, that does exist, I think, in more anything on the spectrum of like prolonged, severe calorie restriction all the way up to like your standard like weight watchers. Mm. Oh, interesting. Okay. So yeah. then would you say it's it's more common than maybe we realize or do you think it's less common than like if if 10 people came up to you in the next week and said oh I I'm in starvation mode uh, I'm not losing yeah. weight because I'm in starvation mode how like out of 10 who what would you say the people or the number of people are actually um and something in like true that true starvation mode yeah. yeah so I would probably say like depending on the person so just say this like hypothetical person they um maybe have been like dieting for a period of time and then they've lost some weight but then they continue to diet or they they start to um, reduce their calories even further maybe they begin to add in some cardio and they find that they're still not losing weight and then they come to you and they're like so I think I'm in starvation mode. I am exercising for an hour a day. I am eating 1200 calories. Like, I think I'm not losing weight because I'm in starvation mode. At that point in time, I would probably have to have a conversation with them about mm. the fact that like, they probably are pretty depleted and they're probably at the point where their body has put the brakes on because realistically our bodies evolutionarily do not know the difference between, um, between true starvation and uh, famine mm. and being on an intentional calorie deficit. Mm. Okay, that's interesting. That's all very interesting. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and I, I also want to just like add a caveat here that like the way that both myself and uh, my partner, uh, we work, we tend to actually take a bit of a sort of weight neutral approach uh, mm. where we focus on health promoting behaviors. And then we sort of don't really take a direct weight control mm. approach with clients because truthfully weight is something that is not a behavior. It's not something that we really have this level of control that we think we do of weight. And like, mm. this may be kind of shocking uh, for a lot of people, but there's a lot of really good research that's actually coming out about um, uh, like weight control measures, like as far as long-term data in response to calorie restriction. Mm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So then, um, you mentioned your partner and I have also mentioned that, but can you actually, uh, rewind a little bit and go into your partner and what you're doing now? 
Oh yeah. I would love to talk about that. So, um, so I want to just rewind here, uh, to the year 2020, which everyone knows was when like shit proverb, like hit the fan. (laughs) And I was in school at this period of time and we were about to go on summer break. And my professor had said, well, make something of yourselves this summer, shadow a dietitian. And I had some of that like stimulus money, like just burning a hole in my pocket. Also, nobody was letting anybody shadow anybody. There was no shadowing. There was nothing going on in any sort of semblance of the word of shadowing. Like that was not happening unless I was going to do it virtually. I decided to instead hire Natalie, who is now my boss, um, because I felt like if I wanted to have people be in this vulnerable position where they were receiving nutrition counseling from me, it was only fair that I should also be a client so that I would be able to sort of experience that. Mm-hmm. Of course, I had some things that I wanted to address with my own nutrition. Um, I was really struggling in the pandemic when my anxiety was a lot higher, as I'm sure it is for most people. And I was really struggling with regular meal times. Uh, we were training from home at that period of time. And I really noticed that my training had suffered and I was having a really hard time. Um, yeah, with the regular meal times, with low appetite and with going into my training sessions, feeling totally depleted, which is like when you're already like not feeling good. And like, I kind of was like, oh, I, I just, I really want to be able to enjoy training again, which like training when you're underfed is just so miserable. Mm. So I actually hired Natalie, I think for six months that we worked together and she knew that I was, you know, in school to be a registered dietitian. And like, funny enough, uh, we actually used to work in the same office, kind of, sort of like we worked for the same company, but like, we never actually were formally introduced. So like, I knew who she was. Mm. Um, but then I like reached out to her for coaching and I was like, Oh, by the way, I work at this place where you also kind of sort of work. And we connected over that because technically like our boss was the same person. Uh, so yeah, like our, the next up in the level was the same person for both of us. Mm. So anyways, hired her, worked with her, had a really great experience through that period of time. I actually, um, I'm going to make a social media post on this. It's like, that was like the period of time when I had decided to stop dieting. And that wasn't something that Natalie told me to do, but I had kind of come to on my own that like, I actually really had spent so much of a period of time of my life where I was in athletics, where I was constantly trying to lose weight. I was constantly trying to lean out. And it's really hard to, you know, both lose weight and improve body composition in that way and really perform your best and feel your best in your training and to improve your muscle mass. So as you know, like if you, if you are trying to gain muscle, you can't really do that very easily in a calorie deficit. So I had really felt like I had sort of sold myself short for many years of training while constantly trying to diet down. Mm -hmm. So in that period of time, I had decided that I was done dieting for myself. And Natalie and I stayed connected through that period of time. And we'd periodically like get coffee together. And she, you know, she came in and got a massage once. Um, uh, She did like a yoga class uh, with me. So I was teaching yoga for a period of time. And um, one day we were getting coffee and um, she asked me what my plans were for after graduating. And I was like, this is the moment she's going to ask me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know, I don't know. I might try to, you know, do some part-time stuff. And she's like, oh, cool. <laughs> and I just like, was like, were you going to ask me something? And she's like, no, I was just wondering. And I was like, well, 
I really thought that you were going to ask me if I wanted to work with you. And I just wanted to let you know that if that's something that you ever want to do, I would absolutely love that. And she's like, yeah, you know, I got to a point where I was getting really busy and I had thought about hiring someone, but I just don't really think I'm there yet. I don't think I'm in that place where I'm ready to bring someone on. And I was like, oh, absolutely. Just putting that out there. And we just continued on our merry ways. And then like three months later, she reached out to me and had said like, and this was in January of 2022. So I was on winter break before my last semester of my program, which is this year. I just graduated in May. And she had said she had really given it some thought and she had ran the numbers. And if I was interested in talking about it, that she would love to have me on the team at Fueled Sports Nutrition. And of course I was like, through the, through the roof, like, oh my God, this is great. I wish you had waited five months to ask me so that I wouldn't be totally checked out from school at this point. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> as a joke, I, uh, I made it through school and it was actually really great because a lot of people, when they graduate through a registered dietitian program, there's a lot of pressure to work in clinical dietetics. So that's like working in a hospital or in a long-term care facility because those mm. jobs are the most abundant. And I was just jumping up and down. I was like, I don't have to work in clinical. This is great. <laughs> and so basically we were starting to sort of put those pieces together and figure out what that would look like. And um, pretty much I transitioned from uh, graduating, she started training me. And then I just passed my RD exam in July and I started taking on some clients. Um, so yeah, that's been, that's been a whole thing. Uh, I believe Natalie started, uh, be fueled sports nutrition, maybe in 2019. And then in 2020, she pretty much began to transition to it being her full-time gig. And then two years later, she's fully booked. She's got a wait list. And then she brought me on to her coaching staff, which I am so beyond grateful to. Um, if you don't have the pleasure of knowing Natalie, she is just like a wonderful human being. She's, she's great. And her background is actually more in endurance sports. Mm. Uh, she, of course she works with, with team sports. She's done work with the junior Sabres. So she's, she's really very knowledgeable of all sports, but she herself is a triathlete. Mm -hmm. uh, versus me, myself, I, uh, formerly played rugby. So I do have like a little bit of a background in team sports and like that more like explosive type, like, you know, it's pretty much rugby can be extrapolated to like soccer, lacrosse, like all those like energy fueling strategies. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm a power athlete. So I think we do really complement each other. Well, as far as our backgrounds go. That's so cool. I remember when you when you first told me about it, I was just so excited for you. And oh, now yeah. you're filling it's, up. Yeah, it's getting there. And it's funny because it literally I was like, this is literally my dream job, like mm -hmm. um, working in like the outpatient setting. Like I really have a passion for counseling, um, which in clinical, you don't really have the opportunity to spend as much time with people. They expect you to see usually at least 10, but up to about 15 patients in a day. And also they tend to be people who are quite ill. So you don't mm. really have the opportunity as much to do like diabetes education, uh, any sort of counseling like that. Like there's just not time in the day. Um, every place is different. Like there's definitely different environments. Like, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush, but you really don't have the opportunity to counsel in the way that I wanted to, or the way to, um, or the time to really, educate, which those are like, really, I love counseling. I love education. Like those are my two favorite things that mm -hmm. I like, they just fill my cup. So yeah. I'm really glad I'm, I'm here. Oh, 
That's so good. Oh my goodness. Okay. So mm-hmm. obviously, I mean, I will, I'll link all of that stuff because I, I follow you guys. I like watching you guys and learning from you. Um, and I guess that kind of brings me to my last point. So I don't want to take up all of your day. Um, but let's kind of stay on the idea of media. Um, uh, obviously you two are both really great resources and people to follow for nutrition and for, you know, information around this topic, but maybe more of a, a general, you know, things to look for, things to uh, be wary of when you're on social media and you're seeing, you know, whether they're mm-hmm. specifically nutrition coach or they're just a coach in general, like what are some maybe red flags to be like, oh, I, I really probably should not follow these people um, or, you know, green flags like, oh, they, they seem like a really good source of information to turn to. Ooh, yeah. So I would definitely say any person that overly identifies with a specific modality is a red flag. So like, uh, I, I really want this carnivore trend to die. But if, <laughs> if the person's handle is like, carnivore Chrissy like they are probably a great resource on the carnivore diet but it's pretty unlikely that they're going to be able to help you to have like a really balanced relationship with food when they Mm -hmm. have themselves demonized a lot of um you know a lot of foods so that's Mm -hmm. a big one um I know that social media is like something that, you know, you have to respond to the algorithm, but I really genuinely believe that um, people that use their bodies as advertisement for their services is a big red flag. Because Mm. like I said earlier, like you can eat exactly like the person who is coaching you and you still won't have their body. Mm. So I think that sets people up for like really bad expectations, I guess. Um, Gosh, I have one more on the tip of my tongue there. So using that, oh, another one that I think I could go on a whole tangent about is before and after pictures. Mm. Um, I think before and after pictures should really be before and during pictures, um, Mm. mostly because, um, so based on a lot of the research of what we have about sort of weight control diets is that there's a lot of information on how to get people to lose weight. We do not have a lot of really good data on long-term sustained weight loss. So I really don't care if you did an eight-week challenge and you lost 20 pounds. That Mm. to me does not have the same level of significance as if you lost 20 pounds and you were able to keep it off and um, also at the same time not suffer from the psychological effects of restriction. Right. So some people who have lost weight and they keep it off, a lot of times they have to do so through like really obsessive and rigid means. Mm-hmm. So basically long story short, not a huge fan of before and after photos, um, using them as advertising specifically. Um, I, maybe I'll call that a yellow flag because I think sometimes people do do it with good intentions. Um, I would say... Anyone who really speaks in extremes there when it comes to food, like this food will kill you or like the one food that you're missing to fix your leaky gut. Mm. Um, I think generally like just kind of paying attention to how pages make you feel. Mm. Um, I know that's kind of like a like fluffy way to think about it, but 
um, a lot of people in the fitness and wellness and nutrition industry, they use shame as a marketing tactic. So if you are like, you constantly are reading someone's page and you kind of like feel like shit, then I don't love that. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I would say green flags are ones that people that approach nutrition with nuance Mm -hmm. Uh, they're able to say like, well, it depends when it comes to this, or, um, they'll provide information without providing their opinion. So Mm -hmm. I really particularly love this because I think like, we need to also respect like people's right to autonomy. Um, even though I don't really ethically agree with a lot of, um, aspects of nutrition, I also think people deserve credible information. So if you're able to provide said credible information without attaching a, if you do this, you will blank, then like, that's great. Um, But yeah. I love those. Those are really helpful, actually. Um, Even, I mean, yeah, (laughs) even certainly in my past, but even currently there, I can think of uh, maybe not necessarily pages, but times where maybe I have looked at a page and I, I really did feel terrible by the I'm like oh my gosh like am I gonna die tomorrow because of said foods and um and so it's those are really powerful takeaways to have and I think they're ones that we can certainly um coach people on because I think I think even just having those identification markers are going to Mm. really really impact um hopefully impact people's you know journey with their nutrition Mm -hmm. um oh can I add something in there really quick? Because of course I also, you can. like thinking back on how I just answered that, I want to just say that maybe if you are someone that is following pages that did some of the things that I described, or maybe if you've even posted or shared some of those things or viewed them and like, you're like, maybe that was like, felt a little bit harsh. I want to just meet that with a little bit of compassion because I want to add that I used to be someone that would post before and after pictures. Mm. So I have learned a lot in my time here. And I used to really prescribe to those beliefs and it's okay if you're currently there in that space, but maybe I would invite you to approach that with a little bit of curiosity. Mm. And that's my only like little caveat there, because I realized that it sounded kind of harsh and maybe a little bit like black and white there. Yeah, I think I think that's a great point to address. But I also, uh, I mean, you know, as a massage therapist, and then you know, coming from us as ATs and PTs, um, I mean, same boat. We we, I mean, people used to think ultrasound was the best way to treat everything, and you know, now we see we don't. And so there is that growth that mm-hmm. hopefully, as clinicians and as people who are out to care for others um and really set people up for the best success and the best thing they can be um that we also realize that we will grow and we will never be perfect all the time and there's still a lot we don't know um Mm -hmm. but we should still be pursuing the next you know the the best knowledge or the best evidence that there is and go from there so I think that's a great point but I think we understand (laughs) Yeah, 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 it's tricky. And I think like nutrition is somewhat of a young field as far as the mm. science goes, and it's incredibly accessible. So there's a lot of, you know, everybody eats, there's a lot of information. Right. And there's a lot of people who are just like, oh, let me share my dieting tips, you know, yeah. so 
it's totally reasonable that there's so much stuff to sort through yeah and I I I said that was gonna be my last question but I have one more do you have time oh yeah I have in 25 minutes so let her rip Perfect. perfect okay um going back a little bit you and one of your red flags um there was the mention of sticking to really rigid tracking really rigid diets and it made me think of this new thing have you seen my fitness pal is charging um users to use the barcode scanner oh my gosh this is such a thing in our house because <laughs> so i want to i want to say that like like i said like all of these tools really are neutral mm-hmm. it just really depends on the intent and sort of like uh what's behind it mm. so my husband uses my fitness pal and he tracks everything that he eats and mm-hmm. i think for him he also has a really healthy relationship with food but also he is a weightlifting athlete and for him like he really has to make sure that he's eating sometimes past the point of fullness mm-hmm. in order to get enough food mm-hmm. so he uses my fitness pal and uh yeah he uses the tracking thing um, and I think really something like my fitness pal or macro tracking, like in the like anti-diet space, it gets really strongly demonized because it is an external way to regulate calories. And like a lot of people in the anti-diet space want to sort of try to move people towards being able to honor their hunger and fullness and also like honor the foods that they really want to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it absolutely can be a tool. I think there's people that, especially in sports that, and even in eating disorder recovery, when they need to pay attention, maybe not to the same level of detail as my fitness pal, but they need to actually pay attention to what they're eating because they can't really rely on their hunger and fullness and their interoceptive cues Mm -hmm. to, uh, to feel full. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I would agree. And so I, I was kind of just curious, um, cause I yeah. knew that your husband tracks, <laughs> oh, yeah. um, and I know many people do. And I'm, I know of many people, um, where I work that also use it. Um, and maybe they're not using it for competitive or, uh, you know, sports reasons or things like that. But I mean, yeah, there is a point where am I even eating enough? I've, I've definitely, I go through this where I don't eat enough mm-hmm. a lot of times because I'm either oh I'm working I don't want to take time to eat because I'm working or uh, or I forget or you know you know missed hunger yeah. cues um and so I will sometimes go into our lifts and I'm exhausted I'm like I yeah. haven't even done anything today and so oh, yeah it's it's extremely helpful and you're right it is a tool it's not one way or the other it's a mm-hmm. means of something so yeah. but I think that's challenging absolutely yeah and I think that like whatever tool you use like if there's education around it and like you can use macros as a way to like make sure you're eating enough or you know whatever mm-hmm. like that's fine but maybe you might need to have that conversation with someone if it becomes a I can't eat that it's not in my macros today it becomes mm-hmm. a source of anxiety it becomes a source of obsession like I'm personally a person that like I do not do well with macros. I've had clients in the past who, um, just even starting to track macros for them makes them feel hungry. Like they Mm. can, like they just, because for them, 
they've had this association with macros and tracking and this with a restrictive diet that like their brain automatically sort of goes into this, like, I'm going to say starvation mode, but that's not the right use of the word. Uh, it already goes to that place where they were yeah. dieting and they know, like they, they have this like core memory of just hunger. So they mm. go on my scale and they start tracking and then they're like, I am eating enough calories, but I'm starving. Yeah. Like, what the hell? So maybe that's not the right tool for them. But yeah. 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 And again, I think, I think it goes back to the point you made several times that it's very individualized and Mm -hmm. that tool is definitely not going to work for everybody, but it's going to work really well for some. And you just kind of have to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, it's a level of detail that again, it's an advanced strategy. It's a level of detail that may not be productive for some people. And there's a lot of other strategies that you can use for your nutrition that Mm -hmm. don't require that level of like cognitive load. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm, um, I'm not going to push you right until the start of your client comes in. Ah, so <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank um, you. Yeah, absolutely. Time and stuff is important. So <laughs> thank you um, so much for being on here. It was, it was so fun to um, talk to you on a more professional level about this kind of topic and one that I really don't know a ton about. So um, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thank you for giving me a little bit of a soapbox. Um, all of these yeah. opinions are of my own and are of no <laughs> other company that I'm associated with. So <laughs> throwing that out there. Um, so yeah, uh, should I add my uh, social media in here? Somewhere? Heck yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So if, if you want to connect with me, my biggest thing is Instagram these days. Uh, you can find me at at be fueled with M E M my, uh, the company that I work for is be fueled sports nutrition. And that's also just one thing. No, like dash dots or dots or dashes, just that at be fueled sports nutrition. Uh, our website is be fueled We have a newsletter that goes out regularly with like recipes and stuff. We are also launching, a monthly membership. It's $25 a month. And with that, you get access to Natalie for a Q&A session, a live Q&A. So it's basically like having office hours uh, with the dietitian. And you get a monthly masterclass with me. Uh, this first month, we're actually going to be doing a masterclass on meal planning. So a lot of the logistics of meeting your nutritional needs. And you get a special email every month that uh, includes a recipe pack, which ideally ties to the masterclass. We also do have, I already said the newsletter thing. Uh, We have a Facebook group that is totally free and we post in it somewhat periodically. Um, But yeah, feel free to connect on any one of those places. Perfect. Thank you guys. And seriously, um, guys, follow her um, or follow them, you know, recommend them. If you, you know, are kind of coming to a point where you're being questioned and you really don't have the answer um, or you just want to share resources, um, especially with the subscription that they've just launched. It's, it looks really incredible. So definitely take advantage of that. Ooh, yeah. um, and I will link all of this information as well in the show notes um, and in the media post when it comes out. So thank you um, for sharing that. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I had a lot of fun. I love talking about this stuff. So thanks. yes. Absolutely. Thank you.